On today's podcast, this is part one of our conversation with Robert Fly Navarro. He's an author, a sport fisherman, and founder of Fly Zone Fishing. He's also an outspoken shark fishing advocate, and we'll be going head-to-head on a range of issues from shark fishing tournaments to the shark fin trade. Trust me, this is one episode of Shark Week, the podcast that you don't want to miss. I'm Luke Tipple, marine biologist and a frequent voice on my favourite things, oceans and sharks. And I'm stoked to bring the magic of Shark Week right to your ears. You know, sharks have been a big part of my life for over 20 years. They're a critical part of the ocean and a conduit to a better understanding life on our planet. So whether you've never seen Shark Week before, or you've been a diehard fan over the 30 plus years it's been around, this podcast is for you. Luke, are you gonna are you gonna ring the bell? Ding ding! Yeah, hang on. Uh, let's let's jump right. In. Yes, <laughs> just like Apollo Creed, man. I love it. <laughs> that may actually be the uh, perfect introduction to this, but in case we don't actually use this, and I advise that we do, uh, let's do a little more formal introduction. So, on this episode, we have a special and highly requested guest, uh, Mr. Robert Fly Navarro. Now, he has been infamous in some shark circles of late. And uh, we've seen him all over the news. I've uh, been looking forward to this conversation for quite some time because I think we're going to find some common ground. We're definitely not going to have uh, a lot in common, uh, particularly when it comes to the emotions. But we're looking forward to a discussion about shark tournaments and shark conservation in general. Welcome to the show, Robert Fly Navarro. Welcome. Uh, thank you so much for having me. And I, I have a feeling that you and I are going to have more in common than you expect. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, I, I'm i first and foremost a scientist. I absolutely love sharks. It's been my career um, for longer than I can really remember. Um, something that I fell in love with at five years old and wanted to be Cousteau and travel around the world and and do all this stuff. But I like to stick to the data. Um, I know that this isn't a perfect world. I know that it's not a practical thing to say, hey, we can't kill sharks, even though it would be great if we could. Um, But the data has to speak. As long as the science is there, I can handle uncomfortable truths. So let's dive into it. Let's, for people who don't know who you are, introduce yourself and what you do. Okay, so uh, my name is Fly Navarro, or I go by Fly. Um, I've been a professional fisherman now 32 years. Approximately, let's see, eight years ago, I went into business for myself. I created a social media marketing company to promote fishing as a sport and as a tourist destination activity. About eight years ago since then, um, I have branched out to a lot of different other things. Uh, I've expanded my social media company to a full-fledged digital marketing company, uh, partnering up with some people. I'm also in the process of launching my own television network uh, right now um, and also uh, creating events uh, on different military installations all over the world to promote uh, our great sport of of fishing and anything that gets people outdoors and enjoying the environment. So what category of fishing is your favorite man that's a great question Uh, if i'm going to go with this uh, let's go a couple things let's go with a species i think uh blue marlin fishing would probably be my number one favorite um but me personally and and i just had this conversation uh literally on the call i was on before um there's a big difference between fishing to me 
and and you can quote me on this because I, I put it in my book and I've said it many times. There's a difference between fishing and catching. People and people confuse that. Um, catching is the actual reeling in of a fish, uh, but fishing is the time that you spend with your friends and family uh, to get to know one each other. Um, and I, even this, I consider this fishing because we're talking about this same exact sport. We're talking about the environment, the conservation of it. Uh, so that in itself, I, I still consider this fishing because this is uh, a little bit what we're going to discuss today is how to preserve uh, our resources. So I consider this still fishing. So um, for me, it's anything that gives me the opportunity to meet new people and discuss new ideas, even if they're not on the same level. Um, that's what I consider fishing. So I don't have a, I have some specific species that I enjoy fishing for. I just got back from Canada. Uh, fishing for giant bluefin tuna, which is one of my favorite uh, things that I do every year. But one of the biggest reasons I enjoy doing it is because of the people I get to hang around. Sure. So how did you get into shark fishing or shark catching, however you want to categorize it? (laughs) (laughs) Well, first of all, um, shark for me, sharks have always been a bycatch. It's um, I've never really been a shark fisherman. Um, That is something where I'm from. I'm from, I grew up in South Florida. Most of my fishing has taken me throughout Central South America, the Caribbean, uh, where sharks were just uh, an unintended species to catch uh, while you were fishing for blue marlins or white marlins. Uh, We had a lot of shark interactions uh, while we were fishing for different species. And uh, at that point, we would have uh, shark depredation. And for people that are not familiar with that word, it's any time that a shark uh, ends up eating what's on your fishing line. If you're fishing for snapper, grouper, blue marlin, and a shark uh, ends up eating uh, or killing the fish that you're trying to catch. Most of what we've seen of you lately, and uh, I don't know if this is something that you've been on the radar of most people for a very long time in the fishing community. Obviously, you seem to be a a fairly popular guy, and obviously with your social media outreach, I imagine you're a good promoter in in certain circles, but you popped onto the radar of a lot of uh, shark people in your recent promotion of uh, the tournament in Palm Beach. You were at least portrayed as somebody who... Uh, highly advocates for shark fishing tournaments. Is that a mischaracterization of your day-to-day? Yes. Okay. So what proportion of your life is spent either promoting shark fishing tournaments or advising on shark fishing tournaments? Probably about 1%. Okay. Okay. Uh, maybe even less than that, but it's become uh, a little bit of a of a problem here uh, as of recent in the last six or seven years. Uh, so because of my reach, a lot of people will reach out to me to help me, uh, to ask me to uh, either speak for them, help them get the word out. And because I am an advisor on the HMS advisory panel, which is the highly migratory species advisory panel, um, uh, it's my job to listen to my constituents on the recreational side to when they have a problem, when they see something, uh, they contact me and then I report it back to the federal government. Okay, well, let's break down a couple things there. So uh, as an advisor to HMS, are you a NOAA employee? No, I am not. 
that number one, that is one of the first fallacies. I am not a NOAA uh, employee. I do not work for the federal government. I work for myself. Uh, I own my own. I own several companies. Uh, I, I, I work for myself, and my number one job is to promote our sport. Okay. So when you're dealing with HMS, you're not just dealing with sharks. You're dealing with all the highly migratory species, correct? Correct. And for people that don't know what highly migratory species are, that's any of the billfish, blue marlin, white marlin, sailfish, swordfish, uh, any of the tunas, bluefin, yellowfin, big eyes, um, and all of the sharks. So, uh, and we break that down into usually two categories in our meetings. Uh, there's a recreational side and then there's a commercial side. And when you talk about, uh, you said in the last six or seven years, there's been a problem. What is the problem? So uh, over the course, uh, so I've been on the board now, it's either seven or eight years. I'm, I can't remember. I think I'm on my third term. Um, what we're starting to notice uh, is an increase in shark depredation. So uh, the number of shark interactions uh, on what used to be a monthly basis, now it's a, it went from a monthly to a weekly. Now here in South Florida, it's become almost a daily issue. Uh, the number of shark encounters uh, that people are having. So uh, it's something that came on the radar of the agency, the agency being uh, NOAA and National Marine Fisheries, and they brought it up to our attention um, because of the amount of uh, complaints that people were having. So uh, they started talking about it. I would say approximately, I'd have to look at my notes, but I want to say six years ago was the first time I went on record uh, and uh, discussed the problem that we're having. Okay. So if there is a shark depredation, I'll, I'll use your language for now and call it a problem. Um, why is a fishing tournament a suitable place to discuss it? Uh, and actually that is a great, great question. Um, because of the fact that the shark tournament and let's, let's bring it down, let's break it down into a couple different parts here if, if you're okay with this. Sure. So, um, there's, there's a lot of ways to bring attention to certain problems that we all have. Some people, uh, would like to, uh, go out and protest, which we're, absolutely allowed to do in our, in our country uh here in the united states you can go out and protest as you saw uh very avidly um by the people that were against the shark tournament um and a lot of the portrayals of the tournament uh were wrong uh we feel that they were wrong um at the last meeting uh somebody uh one of the public commenters came in and um he didn't call me out by name, but he said, uh, listen, there's tournaments out there that are proponenting uh, culling, and I'm using air quotes because we're on audio here, culling of sharks. And uh, never once was this tournament ever designed for the culling of sharks. Uh, now, uh, if you go online, I'm sure uh, we saw people. Uh, it was never anybody that had to do with the tournament, but there were people that were talking about culling of sharks. Um, but that's not, that was not the purpose uh, of this tournament, this purpose of this tournament, uh, of, and we're, we're not scientists. We're, I'm not trying to say, even though we had scientists there, what we're trying to do is get, uh, 
we're trying to get numbers. We want to get data. Um, we want to get a data set to, to give back to the federal government, the state agencies. And what we wanted to show was for X number of fishing hours, we had X number of sharks caught, X number of sharks released, and X number of sharks harvested. Okay, so let's dive straight into that data. If you are out there collecting data, um, I believe you ended up landing, was it nine bull sharks and the stated, is that correct? Nine? Co correct, nine. Okay, and, and I know the stated objective was to only target bull sharks uh, for at least uh, the, the take to, be, to bring back to the dock because that is a legally permitted species to take right now. What was the data for catching effort versus number of shark interactions? So, um, and all the tournaments that I put on and the majority of tournaments that I fished in have been billfish tournaments, marlin tournaments. So, um, our numbers, as far as catch and release ratios were right there alongside of, uh, shark tournaments. We had a 97% release ratio. We released 329 sharks to nine sharks harvested uh, with a seven hours of fishing by, I believe, and I apologize, I can't remember the number right off the top of my head. I believe we had uh, 50 boats or 54 boats participating. So if you multiply 54 boats by seven hours, uh, that's the number of hours we had fishing, uh, which give or take that's something like 350 hours and yeah it's rough, roughly, roughly one shark interaction per hour of fishing effort correct G give or take I, and being that okay, I, I'm, and I'm you were specifically targeting sharks so that sounds like a pretty slow day fishing to me uh actually uh when i took it back to the federal government they were unbelievably surprised they did not really realize it was that high you're also talking about multiple species you know, for but we're talking, whoa, whoa, yeah, no, no, we're talking about all the sharks. And you, what you have to understand, one of the things that we wanted to do because of the fact that this was something that we were trying to, and the whole purpose of the tournament was to get some data to take back to the government and also get back to the government to say, hey, listen, we need some proper stock assessments. We need some proper funding by the government, whether it's state or federal, to uh to talk about this what we're calling a problem and this is the this is the issue that I'm having that I have with this and this is where you could agree or you could disagree so our federal government and anytime you deal with any kind of corporation or uh a body that big uh they usually do not do macro management or I'm sorry, re rewind that. They do not do micromanagement. They do macro management. So um, what we're looking at right now is we're starting to see an increased interactions with sharks. Uh, what I do not want to see, and one thing that I'm a very, very big proponent on, is sharks are very important in our ecology. It's, it, it's something that we need. What I do not want to see is this uptick that we're seeing because we're spending so much time on the water. And when I say we, I'm talking about recreational fishermen. Uh, there's a commercial aspect to this. I do not want to speak on that because I'm not part of that community. Uh, we're starting to see an uptick on uh, this shark number of interactions. Is this something normal? 
Are we getting to a normal interaction? Are we getting to an abnormal interaction? I don't know, and I'm not here to say that we are. What I'm saying is, uh, government, please pay attention to what is going on right now. Do not let this thing take 15 or 20 years because the only thing that the federal government knows how to do is macromanage, which is, okay, guys, go out and wipe them all out like they did in the 70s. I do not want to, I do not want to see that because that, that will go against everything that, um, all of us believe in you, myself, many, many fishermen. So one of the things that we wanted to do was bring attention to, hey, listen, there's a lot of, we are seeing a lot of sharks. We want to show you, we've invited all the scientists to come with us uh, because there is a trickle down effect. Uh, and I don't know when the tipping point is, we may never reach it. Um, but right now we're getting to the point uh, on the recreational side where people that come down to Florida on vacation, um, where they used to be able to pay X amount of money to go on a boat and come back home with a bag of snapper, a bag of grouper, a a bag of whatever to take back home and eat. You want fish to eat. People go fishing. They want to eat fish and that's, that's fine. Florida, uh, the recreational fishing industry in the state of Florida is $119 billion a year industry. People come to Florida to go fishing. Some people do it catch and release. Some people go to uh, bring fish home. Well, what's starting to happen is uh, these people have to start going two or three days to be able to bring back the amount of fish that they used to be able to bring back home 10 years ago. And uh, that might not seem like a big deal. And right now, maybe it isn't a big deal, but it's definitely something that we've seen a couple of upticks. But that, that's not and, a, forgive me for interrupting, but that's not a, a shark create a problem that's a overfishing problem uh, i hold on a second no 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 no. you're we don't know what the cause and what the effect is you're assuming that you're no no no. I, my next my next thing was going to say that we don't necessarily have the data to prove that it's overfishing but we also don't have the data to prove that it's sharks what we do know is that the recreational fishing fleet has increased exponentially over the time period you're discussing. Absolutely, but l- let's let's go back to what you talk about overfishing and um I I'm assuming you're not from Florida. I actually live in Pompano Beach, yeah. <laughs> do you really? Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. So, how how long have you lived in Florida? Not not that long. A few months. Okay, uh, but so, I mean, I've been over here working with sharks for about 15 years. Okay, cool. So in Florida. Uh let's rewind. Let's let's uh, go in our time machine and rewind. My senior year in high school, one of the things I was so happy about, um, my senior year in high school, the state of Florida passed an amendment that outlawed gill netting, inshore gill netting in the state of Florida. Are you aware of that amendment? No. How is that relevant? Okay. Great question. Great, great question. So one of the things that happened when they outlawed that, that ban on gill netting it started allowing uh, more bait fish, more forage fish to live in inshore waters. With that number of forage fish increasing, uh, it took about 10 or 15 years, and then we started seeing an abundance of other fish. 
Um, and some of those other fish were reef fish, inshore fish like snook and tarpon, the number, until we had the freeze of, I think it was 10 years ago, the numbers of snook in our water were exponentially better than they ever had been in, in several decades. Uh, <clears throat> and then about seven to 10 years ago, we started seeing numbers of sailfish, offshore species, just boom in Florida, uh, where people catching three sailfish in a day, which was a great day of fishing. Now people are catching 15, 20, 30 sailfish in a day. They're catching more kingfish in a day, more dolphins in a day. The number of fish that people were catching individually, not as a whole, because of like what you're talking about, we, we've actually absolutely increased the number of, of fishing hours off the state of Florida, but we've also increased the number of fish being caught. Is it just because the fish stocks are better or is it because techniques have gotten better? Uh, again, I, there, there's a lot of variables here that we do not know, uh, but this is something me fishing here all my life. It's something that I've definitely seen. Is that the reason why fishing got better? I don't know, but it's, it's again, as you work with forage fish, then you start going to predators and then you work your way all the way up to apex predators, which is sharks. So that being said, it goes back to my first question or my first statement where we have, we're just asking the government, Hey guys, please let's pay better attention to what could be a problem, or you guys could come back and say, "Hey, listen, we're we're just getting we're just getting back to normal." Yeah, we don't know we don't know that answer, but until uh, we created this tournament, nobody was listening. Okay. Well, guess let's, what? Let's... You you guys helped us get the government to listen. Well, that's a no small feat. <laughs> In, uh, in any case, if the government's actually listening and doing a job, that'd be fantastic. So let's let's focus on that. Um, I mean, when you talk about we don't really, you know, know about overfishing and the assumptions of overfishing and stuff in a recreational fishing fleet where people are coming down and going out and catching fish and stuff. I mean, we do know uh, some stats about, you know, local reef fish, for example, like uh, University of Miami says that uh, grouper and snapper are about 85% overfished, you know, below the levels where they should be. And that is a species that I know people go out and go for and then complain about the tax man or the shark coming and getting them. But let's reel it back to how you popped up on our radar, which is tournaments. Now, you bring up some really good points that I can agree with where, you know, we need data. We want to know more about sharks. If there is a depredation problem due to an excess of sharks, that's certainly something we'd want to see. There isn't any scientific data that shows uh, that sharks are anything much more than at sustainable levels for the sharks in the US waters that are permissible to be caught. And globally, we know that shark numbers have depleted incredibly, um, you know, up to 90% by some fair assessments. But I will say in the US, that doesn't necessarily appear to be a problem for some species. So I want to talk about tournaments and why that that's a, uh, a good place 
to discuss shark conservation because your spokesmen suck. The, you're up there. Now, now be, you, be careful because you brought me on here as a spokesman. No, no, no. I, I'm so actually, you telling me I no, no, suck. No. Actually, I think you are eloquent and I didn't call it, say that you suck. But the spokesman uh, uh, that you're uh, going you, out there, the fishermen you're sending out to collect the data, the fishermen that you're saying are your data collectors, data points, are the same ones that we see dragging sharks, punching sharks, catching the wrong species, beating protected sandbar sharks. I mean, I know that these might be outliers, but shouldn't shouldn't okay. the avenue be to go and get funding and take out scientists and do this the right way? Absolutely. But then let me ask you that same question in, in retort. Sure. Uh, the group that you're with, and I can, I'm more than happy to share it with you, the number of death threats I've received, the number of calls I got in two o'clock in the morning telling me, don't step outside because I'm here with a gun. Yeah. The people that the term the reason become I became the spokesperson is because the tournament director people actually put the address of where his wife works and where his kids go to school and they said go kill his kids. Are those your spokespeople? I am not affiliated with those people, and I'll be the first one to say that I don't advocate for anything like that. I do like protest, but I would not advocate for anybody. I mean. It's an animal, we're passionate about it, but that should not make a crossover into personal violence. That's why, I, and the only reason I'm bringing that up is in in any spectrum, and I'm gonna go to a, just so you can see it on the screen, you have, five, you have 5% on this side that go a little bit overboard, and you have 5% on this side that go a little bit overboard. But in the middle, just like we're having a great conversation right now, I would assume that you and I are somewhere here in the middle. Just a little bit on this side and a little bit on this side. But um, we can have a, an honest discussion about how we feel. So I can definitely say that there are some outliers that don't speak very good for my sport. But you can say the same thing about yourself. I can. I mean, let's. if we want to put it on the table, I'll tell you how I feel about all this. Um, I feel that globally... Shark stocks are undebatably in decline. And I, agree. I, while, I agree with you on that, 100%. While uh, we, and I say we because I'm, I'm actually, I hold dual citizenship. I'm an American citizen. I've been here working with sharks for, you know, 17 years. I'll talk about we in the, you know, quote unquote, colloquial US. We put out a lot of media that bashes the rest of the world for their abuse of global fish stocks and their abuse of their local ecosystems and our complaints that other countries are to blame. Yet, we turn around and in our media, we, you know, sport the idea of going out and catching sharks for fun. I think that that's a, uh, a messaging problem for sure. I don't necessarily think that uh, shark fishing tournaments are an ecological problem because for the most part, the take isn't that high, especially when you're comparing to, you know, offshore fishing fleets and commercial fleets. It's just not. But optically, it's a terrible precedent to be setting that, hey, what we're asking you to do to protect our world and global, you know, fish stocks is not something we are prepared to also be subject to. So that's how I feel. I feel that we should not be targeting sharks in a public sense. The data would show, which is how I actually am, would prefer to be sitting, the data would show that certain species are sustainable take. And I'm okay with that too. I, I'm fine with people eating shark as long as it's sustainably managed. 
the tournament was organized uh, to target bull sharks in an area where there's uh, heavy shark diving activity in an area that is regularly fished by a lot of recreational fishermen. And to the inward-looking person, to somebody who's on the outside looking into you guys, regardless of the rhetoric that comes out from you or the outliers of, of the crew associated with it, um, it would look to them like bull sharks were being specifically targeted in a certain area, perhaps to reduce their numbers, whereas your side of it is it's for science. How do you, how do you pass that? How do you justify that it was for science? Um, for s several reasons. And actually, uh, I, I'm not interrupting. Let me add something to that. How do you justify that it was for science? And further, how do we justify that it's really just not a commercial venture? You know, for the sponsorship money, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, well, first of all, we didn't take any sponsors, number okay. one. Uh, number two, uh, b after the fish were used for scientific research, whether they said they didn't, they wanted it or not, they still came in and, and were able to take uh, specimens of parts of sharks that they can't when they go out and only do uh, live catch and release. They were able to take uh, liver samples and spinal samples. They were able to do that. Then, uh, and this, I did not even know this, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw this question to you. Uh, we ended up donating the sharks to create shark repellent. Did you know that sharks were used in creating shark repellent? There's some data to show that it may be effective, but I mean, we've spoken on this podcast to the people who are doing it. It It's not uh, something that's being uh, actively pursued. Uh, well, anyway, those sharks, those nine sharks were, ended up being donated to a company and created, um, they, they created uh, shark repellent out of it, uh, which I thought, you know what, I... I thought we were, it was just going to go to a food bank. I'm glad it went to something that could help alleviate, make both sides a little bit happy. But I want to go back to something. Did, that, you, did you, sorry, let me just yeah, uh, go ahead. call you on something there. Did you really think it would go to a food bank? Because the data shows that, that most of these large sharks are, you know, quite toxic and usually not taken by food banks. No, 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 no. Wait a second. First of all, these sharks are not toxic. Uh, it is, uh, and I'm going to assume, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm assuming when you say, quote unquote, toxic, you're talking about mercury levels. Mercury is one of them. Yeah. And toxic is probably too strong a word. It's one that does get thrown around by advocates. Um, so I'll reel back from that and talk about real data. It's not uh, the healthiest of meat to eat uh, because of certain levels, including mercury, that exist in its tissue. Um, but it won't kill you. Okay. So as long as we're on that same, uh, it, again, it's, it's the... Um, it's the stigma because it's a shark. But before we go down that road, I want to circle back around about something you said, that this is a also a shark diving area. So uh, as we know, uh, whenever you go to any park, anywhere you go, they say, don't feed the birds, don't feed the bears, don't give them food. Uh, because what you're doing is you're changing the natural habitat or the natural habits of animals. Uh, something here in this area in South Florida and Jupiter in particular, uh, they feed the sharks to do shark diving. Uh, these sharks are 
again, going back to the beginning of our conversation, uh, they're highly migratory species. They are species that travel. Uh, they go to different areas. But because of the fact that these sharks are being fed, uh, and by some, um, by some businesses, they're being fed six times a day. So I don't know, I don't know the number of uh, shark diving boats out there. I have no clue on that, but I do know that some of them go out four to six times a day and they, they are feeding these sharks. So they're not become, they're becoming non-migratory. They're becoming residential fish. So we've changed the habit of, uh, these fish in their transitory pattern. Uh, the other thing, um, with that being said, um, is, now these fish that are supposed to be predator, apex predators, they're not predators anymore. They have been taught by humans to just wait, wait for a boat. Once you hear the boat, we're going to get fed. So um, what is being created is a Pavlov's dog. Uh, and it's, it's been outlawed in the state of Florida. It's illegal to do it in the state of Florida. And I have recently heard, and I know NOAA has absolutely no jurisdiction over it, or National Marine Fisheries has no jurisdiction over it. Uh, but I, I've, again, I've only heard and read a couple little things about it that they're looking to outlaw that as well in federal waters. Well, let's let's talk about that. Because um, you, you do bring up a couple of things that are kind of in the... Um, you know, this is on our side. Like, there's a lot of people who look at, at your side of things and and, uh, and throw out a bunch of generalities. Uh, but uh, I can, can I say stop? conclusively, and I'm going to let you go on one thing, and sure. and you can continue it on um, for the sake of this conversation. Um, my side and your side. Uh, hey, man, you're you're a human being just like me. There is no our side and your side. I totally that, get it fair. for this. We can dispense for, that. Yeah. I, I totally understand it from this conversation, but the one thing I don't want people getting from this conversation is that you and I are adversaries. We're not adversaries, and I'm not adversaries with anybody that is in opposition of me. Uh, let, I, I, because I unfortunately saw the worst of it. I saw the worst of it. I got the phone calls at two o'clock in the morning, the my side and your side. And I'm for the sake of conversation, I'm perfectly okay with you saying that. But I want people that are listening to this to know that I, I don't like, uh, because now it becomes tribalistic. Now we're tribal. Now it becomes whatever you say, whatever Luke says is right and whatever Fly says is wrong. And it's not a my side or your side thing. It is, uh, we're looking at it from a, a different vantage point. And um, there's an old Chinese proverb that says, if you get five blind people and they all walk up to an elephant in different areas, they're all gonna describe it differently, but it's still an elephant. Sure. I, so, so let's just, and I'm okay with you saying my side and your side, but I want to make sure that as people are listening to this, um, I don't see you as an adversary, uh, if anything, and it would, it would do a lot more work in the overall aspect of, uh, our state in our, uh, country in our world. If we, in general, stop looking at people as adversaries and start looking at them as, Hey man, you may not look at it the same way I do, but how can we work together 
and have a proper discussion and find what's good on one side and what's good on the other. And let's try to work together to make sure we don't create the same kinds of problems that they used to back 50 years ago, 60 years ago. We have, this is a great opportunity. You have a great platform here to discuss the problems of shark overfishing on a global scale. And, I, and I'm, I'm agreeing with you yeah. 100%. Let's, uh, okay, let's, uh, I, I get where you're going with that. I totally agree. Um, your point is well made. Um, you know, we're sitting here across virtual rooms here. I, you know, I wish we were sitting at a bar having a beer and that'd, that'd be all fine. But for the purpose of this conversation, as you brought up to start with, there are two sides. And you and I may be somewhere in the middle, separated by a couple of degrees, but we are, for the purpose of this conversation, representing different sides. Your side is the one that got on TV and said, hey, we're going to go out there and fish a bunch of sharks for scientific purposes for, some would say, somewhat dubious reasons. My side are the people who said, hey, Sharks are perhaps just returning to the numbers that they're supposed to be at. We're okay with getting science on understanding what those numbers are supposed to be, but we don't need to go out there and kill them to do that. But I want to reel back to what you were just saying about the shark diving because you brought up a couple of things that uh, seem to be entering the zeitgeist but have been disproven pretty conclusively. The migratory patterns of these highly migratory species, as you mentioned, are not being changed by shark diving activities. That's been well proven in both these waters and in the Bahamian waters for multiple species, including the bull sharks. They still move off. Now, what you are right about is that they will take an easy meal. And I do think that there's a lot of operators out there over-provisioning the sharks, and perhaps even provisioning when they shouldn't be. The shark divers in certain waters are allowed to use attractant, but they shouldn't be feeding. So if that's happening, there's, there's certain operations that should probably check themselves on that. However, the data also shows from satellite tags, from gut contents, from a lot of the things that actually prove stuff that the provisioning isn't significantly changing their hunting efforts or the actual food that they're going after. So saying that uh, shark diving is creating a Pavlov's dogs, non-migratory type scenario where they're suddenly resident is frankly nonsense. For, um, I, can I break that down into two parts? Uh, you can, yeah. Okay, so... Um I'm going to go back to uh, a lot of the people that uh, threatened my life, uh, and I'm I'm and I'm not trying to. Anyway, I'm I'm going back because th those are the ones that were commenting on my page. So um, when you go back and you look at their pages, you can see uh, that there's about six sharks that have their own Instagram pages. Sharks that live on their dive spots that have their own Instagram pages and they show how they're feeding them throughout the year. So this shark has been in the one spot so long that the divers are creating Instagram pages for. <laughs> so Yeah, of course. And and when the sharks aren't there, they'll continue posting the photos they have of them. I mean, this has been known for for decades. So that's that's number that's number one. Number two um, going about Pavlov's dog when, because I've seen the sharks, what they do is when the boats, the engines are running, the sharks will come to the boat and I can't speak from it from a diver's point of view. I can only speak to it from a, a recreational fisherman's point of view. Um, the sharks don't go chasing our fish. They don't go down the line and go after the fish. The sharks hear the boat running and then they sit underneath the boat 20 feet 
and wait for us to reel it in. So that is definitely not a natural. Um, is is that? Let me ask you though. Is that a different behavior? I mean, I've been on a bunch of commercial fishing boats and seen that that same behavior way offshore, like way outside of normal realms. So with your experience is something I'd like to learn from you from, is that normal behavior from sharks, say, 20 years ago? Um, or is that changing? Anecdotally, I know, but still. So, no, 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 and that's a great question because I've seen it 20 years ago, not necessarily here in Florida. I've seen it um, while fishing in the Caribbean, in the Virgin Islands. There was a handful of boats, uh, like four or five charter boats that would go out and they would chum for tunas. And uh, the sharks learned that if they just sat there, these guys would hook the tunas and they would get three out of every four tunas. It, it's something that they learned. They learn. It's, it's an animal instinct. We learn. Um, and so everything the, we do. The million, the million plus recreational boats of which probably very few percentage you might actually be able to tell me are actually out there trying to you know catch big fish and whatever else but uh that argument would say that the pavlov's dogs that are creating the sharks and their hunting behavior coming after boats and then the the catch is actually the fishing fleets not the shark divers i would say it's both yeah both can be true um, i would say uh, what I, what i'm saying is it's both i'm not saying it's uh, again i'm not sitting here and, and pointing the finger at only one direction. Uh, and again, I, I, that takes me back to what we were saying, uh, what I was saying before is, hey, let's find the good on both of our sides and try to fight for the same thing instead of fighting each other. Okay, so if uh, that perfectly reasonable explanation, why do we then need to commercialize the hunting and killing of sharks? Why do we need to commercialize it? Yeah, why, why fishing tournaments? Oh, uh, that's two different things. There's a commercial... And then there's recreational. No, uh, I'm not talking about commercial going out and actual commercial operations. I'm talking about the commercialization, uh, whether, I mean, this tournament wasn't sponsored, but there were entry fees. Uh, I've worked on a lot of other sh uh, shark fishing tournaments. I actually started Shark Free Marinas, which uh, you may be aware very, of. This is some of. 15 yeah. years ago. Yeah. Um, and, and I worked with a lot of uh, fishing tournaments. In fact, I... Uh, I was the person that got uh, the Humane Society of the United States to sponsor and advocate for shark fishing tournaments when they were all catch and release. Why do we need shark mortality in shark fishing tournaments or even shark fishing tournaments at all? Okay, so here's a question, and I think you just answered it, so I apologize if I'm going to repeat myself. So uh, what you're saying is you want no shark, even if it was 100% catch and release, you want no shark tournaments. Ideally, I think, uh, well, that is, that's how I feel. I'm not saying the data represented it, but I feel that that would be appropriate, uh, yeah. Okay, so what's, with, that, with, with that being said, what, what, uh, so the, with that being said, what's the difference between a shark tournament and a kingfish tournament? Or a sailfish tournament? What's the difference to you? That I'm not a that I'm not a kingfish expert, and I can't speak to that. Okay, I, but you might you might get on the kingfish uh, podcast no, and, no, no, I, I, and, so, and talk to them, and they might have other things to say about it. Um, so uh, he, I'm, and again, I, I'm going to go back to the marlin side of it because I I feel that I'm more equipped to talk about marlin tournaments than shark tournaments. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna rewind here, um, and. Again, I'm just going to point out because of we saw the same numbers as far as a ratio of releases, um, there is uh, one tournament in particular, uh, a Marlin tournament, that um, same thing, 
they have anywhere between a 93 to 98% release ratio. Um, and one of the things over the course of 30 years in this tournament with having scientists do T DNA samples and studying samples and stuff like that, uh, what they were able to do was they were able to discover a new species of billfish. And um, tournaments, again, tournaments are not only just a, a competition between fishermen, but it's also a way to bring economics to a certain community. Uh, now, mind you, our this shark tournament here was a very small tournament. Everybody was local. We couldn't broadcast it out because we tried to, but unfortunately, because of the death threats, um, we had a lot of places saying, no, we don't want you here. And listen, you're a private company, you're a private location, you're allowed to do whatever you want. You're, you're perfectly allowed to do whatever you want. But uh, that being said, uh, tournaments in every different community, whatever different species it is, uh, if you have a largemouth bass tournament in Belle Glade, that brings in people to the hotels, to the restaurants, the gas stations. Uh, if you have a blue marlin tournament in Ocean City, uh, excuse me, that's a white marlin tournament. The white marlin tournament in Ocean City, it brings in hundreds of millions of dollars to the uh, local economy. So that's, I mean, when people look at tournaments, you're, you can't look at just the, um, you can't just look at the direct, uh, economy that, that goes to the fishermen. Oh, the fishermen won a million dollars. You have to look at the, the entire, it's an event. It brings people together, competition, um, whether it be all catch and release, whether it be a modified release, um, there's very few tournaments well, let's, that... let's define those. Is there a difference in the money-making opportunity for a local community or the, you know, the sports fisherman entrance or the, the payoff for the sponsors or anything like that between a full release and a, yeah, a mortality or a take-type tournament? Uh, I would say yes. To what degree? <sighs> I, I, I can't put an actual number because I don't have that, but uh, I, I don't want to make up numbers, but I, I, I will say this, um, good, bad, or indifferent. We're going we're gonna to talk about humans as, a, as an animal. We're, you and I are now, we're animals. We're homo sapiens uh, going back to gladiator days. For some stupid reason, humans as a whole love to see humans conquer something bigger than them. So uh, if you have a tournament with a bunch of flags flying, you're just not going to get as many people at the dock as you would if you were hanging a fish, a large fish. Uh, and this has nothing to do with whether it be a shark or marlin or a big kingfish. People like going to the stage and watching a fish being hung up uh, as opposed to somebody just having a bunch of flags hang, hanging off saying, I caught nine sailfish. Uh, is there a, a big difference in economic impact? Absolutely, there is. I, I'd be lying if there's not. Um, I can't argue with it one way or another. I'm just, you ask me a question, I have to tell you, yes, sure. there, there, there is a big difference. Um, it's, so for sponsors, for example, is there, there's, a, uh, there's more money they're willing to put down? 
or is it just more people coming and buying beers, you know, going to hotels I, I, and I, doing I, all the rest? I, I, I would, I would say that. Uh, I, I, when I create a tournament, I don't, I, I don't rely on sponsors. I don't like relying on sponsors. Uh, I saw the ugly side of sponsorship this year with the number of, uh, sponsors, not for us, but for another tournament that sponsors started pulling their sponsorships because somebody had a shark category. And, um, I, I don't like, and we're, I'm watching it every day where people are holding dollars over people's heads as blackmail. And I, that's why I don't like dealing with sponsors. I like, I like to create a fun event. Uh, and, and just so you know, my events, the majority of my events are all catch and release. I do have some that is harvested, uh, I have very, very stringent rules uh, on my tournaments to prevent over-harvesting of fish, meaning <clears throat> everything I do, um, once we have certain places, we, move, we start moving up benchmarks, meaning unless you can beat first place, don't bring in a third-place fish. I'm not going to give you anything for it. Uh, I don't want anything for it. Don't even bring it back. Um, if your fish doesn't meet minimum requirements, uh, I don't don't kill a fish if it's not going to meet minimum requirements. And I'm going to move minimum requirements. I don't want to see uh, unnecessary unnecessary harvesting of any kind of fish, whether it be a marlin, a sailfish, a shark, a snook, a tarpon, anything. Uh, if there's then, no... Uh, Fly, I mean, uh, everything you're saying sounds perfectly reasonable to me. Uh, as an organizer, you sound very responsible and, and I'm not trying to target you whatsoever, but the, the take of those bull sharks was unnecessary. I, I, I'm just having trouble wrapping my head around first um, of all, it, why first that, that was necessary, particularly with all the rhetoric that was going on. Why well, wouldn't first, you sort of pull of back all, from that and go, oh, clearly the community uh, no, 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 raised. No. First, for, first of all, it was 100% legal. I'm not if saying it, it wasn't legal. I'm saying what is responsible. Well, again, at what you consider responsible is different than what I consider responsible. It was, we are having a tournament for who catches the biggest fish. So everybody was, we kept the rules where it was a very high minimum and you were only allowed to bring in one. And once you called in your one, you were done harvesting. Meaning if you catch a 400 pounder and then two hours later you catch a 600 pounder, you can't kill them. You can't kill them. So what you're considering uh, irresponsible is, again, it's, it's just that vantage point. All right, you bring up some pretty good points. Uh, Fly, we're going to have to put a break in here. We're going to continue our conversation, but this is now going to roll into a, an extended podcast, which I think we'll treat as a second episode. So for everyone out there, we'll, uh, we'll finish this conversation on the next one. Fly, you cool with that? Same bat time, same bat channel. Let's do it. All right. We'll catch you guys on the next Shark Week podcast with more from Robert Fly Navarro. And okay, that's it for today's episode. I want you to stay tuned to this feed as we continue to cover the sharkiest current topics. We'll talk to top scientists and experts and learn about the latest conservation efforts to keep this amazing animal from extinction. Thank you for listening to Shark Week, the podcast. Be sure to rate us five stars and subscribe for more shark fun facts. Until next time, I'm Luke Tipple. I'll chat to you soon. <laughs>